We are continuing our series called I Believe in the Church, and we're looking at Ephesians 5. So if you turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 33. And as we continue this series called I Believe in the Church in the book of Ephesians, Paul continues this idea that in light of what Jesus has done for you, in light of substitution, in light of his rescue, in light that he has reconciled you to the Father, this is what relationships look like. And he uses the relationship of marriage in particular to show that relationships because of what Christ has done, because God has reconciled you, that relationships look different. And he uses uh, the relationship of marriage to show us that in the church, this is how relationships look different in light of what Christ has done for them. So hear the word of God in Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. Verse 22 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a passage that is challenging to get our mind around. For some of us, it rubs us the wrong way. For some of us, it's hard to understand its relevance today. And Lord, help us to remember that because your word is living and active, it never changes. And so, Lord, you have a good word for us this morning through this text. So pray, Lord, that the Spirit of the living God would descend upon us, would open up our hearts and our minds to reveal us, to expose us, but ultimately to cure us, to send us out as your people. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I read that verse... Wives, submit to your own husbands. You could feel it in the room, right? It was like, though, I won't call you out, but I saw some husbands and wives readjusting themselves in their pew, adjusting themselves, and I can just imagine for the wives that that verse in particular could be one that we struggle with. 
And that when we read this passage as a whole, it does seem, if we're honest, to be countercultural. That not only is it countercultural outside of the church, but this is a passage that can be read as countercultural even inside the church. That this is not something that is relevant, surely, today in our day and age, in the relevance of culture and in the church in the, in the year 2016. How in the world does this passage still apply to us today? And see, the problem is that with our culture— is not that this became a problem the last 30 years, is that this became a problem in the Garden of Eden. That it was actually in the Garden of Eden that this idea of submission to one another, this submission to anything, became countercultural. The very point in time when Adam and Eve said, I no longer have to fall into submission to God, and we no longer have to fall into submission to one another, and we claimed independence from God and independence from one another, all the way back in Genesis 3, this passage has forever rubbed our culture the wrong way. So the question for us this morning is that if God's Word is living and active, and His Word never changes, and it is as relevant and fresh as it was thousands of years ago as it is today, then what in the world does it have to say for us today in the year 2016? You see, we have to remember what Paul was trying to do here in the letter to the Ephesians. He was trying to press upon them that, hey, this whole idea of Christianity, the world's never seen anything like this. They've never seen the church in action. They've never understood uh, that, that this reality of what Christ has done for people like you and me. And so the one thing that he's trying to do here in the letter to the Ephesians is he says, hey, when the world sees us, when the world looks at us, it has to look different. There has to be something different about our relationships and the way we function and the way we live, and particularly even in our marriages, has to look somewhat different in order for the world to recognize that there is a movement to be reckoned with, that there is a man by the name of Jesus Christ who really came and really died and really rose again, and he has turned this world upside down, and it is the role of the church to display the glory and the power of the gospel. So you have to understand, just as you heard those words this morning, and you might have said, that is crazy talk, it was just as crazy then as it is today. You have to remember the culture that they were living in 2,000 years ago. Women were property. Women were nothing. Women were no better, regard, better off than as slaves. And so you can imagine for a woman hearing this, submit to a man, they treat me like trash, they treat me like garbage, they treat me like a slave. And you can imagine the mentality of the man, of the husband. Husbands had multiple wives. They had the pick of the litter. They could do whatever they want. Women were a means to an end. And so God's call even for a husband, love one wife and love her in such a way that you'd be willing to sacrifice your life for her. Women are for me. Women are a means to an end for me. And, and God's saying, no, 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 no. There's something that different that happens in the gospel. There's, so, there's a paradigm shift that happens that allows you to fall into submission to one another and for husbands to go even further, even be willing to lay down their lives for their wives. So I want us to look at two things briefly this morning. 
two profound truths that I believe Paul reveals here about marriage and relationships in Ephesians 5, starting with verse 22. The first thing that he reveals to us about marriage and relationships, he reveals the calling of marriage. And what's the call of marriage? We've read it. Back in verse 21, wives submit to your husbands. And so the calling for the wife in marriage, this call that God through Paul gives wives is to fall under submission. And the call for the husband is what? To love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. What is Paul trying to communicate there? He's trying to say love your wives in such a way that it's a sacrificial love. And what he's ultimately trying to say is, husbands, love your wives in such a way that they would gladly follow your lead. See, the the, the men had never given women a reason to follow them. Remember what I said, women were treated like slaves. Women were treated as nothing. There was no regard for women in this culture. So women had no reason to follow the lead of their husband. No reason to follow the lead of a man. And Paul is saying, love your wives with such a sacrificial love that you'd be willing to lay down your life for her that your wife goes, of course I will follow his lead. Of course I will follow him. Of course I will let him lead. And so the calling of marriage is for the wife to follow and to submit and for the husband's to love, but I don't think the word there to be focused on is love so much as the idea that the husband is called to give his life up. What's that called? It's called sacrifice. So in one way you could say the calling for the the wife is to submit, but the calling for the husband is to sacrifice. And so for everybody that says, according to the Bible, it is much easier to be a man, I go, the women are called to submit and live, but the man is called to sacrifice and die. And so I ask you, who has the harder calling? Who has the bigger challenge? Husbands, men, you are called to love your wives in such a way that you sacrifice your lives, that you'd be willing to love your wife in such a way that you would give yourself up for her. And what does it say? It uses this language that not only give yourself up for her, but for how? In verse 26, that he might sanctify her, that he might cleanse her, that he might present her in verse 27 in splendor, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then it goes on in verse 29, that, that, that he is called to nourish and cherish her. So we have this idea for husbands to love your, wives in, love, love your wives in such a way that you would be willing to sacrifice, and then he's called to cherish her and to nourish her and to cleanse her and to sacrifice and to sanctify her. And what does all this language of sacrifice communicate? It communicates the type of commitment that is required for the husband. This is not a commitment that, hey, when things get tough, you leave, or you abandon the ship. This is a commitment that you go all the way, husbands, that you love your wives in such a way that there is a commitment that you would be even willing to lay down your life for her. There's a commitment to stay. See, the calling of the husband is to stay. I heard this story a couple weeks ago about a man by the name of Tony, and Tony struggled with addiction 
all of his life. And he went from counselor to counselor trying to find help, and he would fall back into his addiction. And the reason he would go through counselor after counselor is because no counselor would be willing to go through another session with this guy. He would, they would, they would meet, they would agree to the plan, and they would abandon, and the, the Tony would abandon the plan, and he went through counselor after counselor after counselor, and then finally he got to this one counselor, and after screwing up again, Tony looked at the counselor and he said, you must be so frustrated. And the counselor said, I am frustrated, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay. And with that, Tony fell to his knees and began to weep. Weep so uncontrollably that the counselor could not even make it out. And he said, God, I am ashamed. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, God. And that was the beginning of a a journey of healing for Tony. And the counselor a year later said, what happened? What was the difference? And he said, you said you would stay. You wouldn't leave me. So the husband is called to stay that the wife's submission and following of the husband is dependent on the husband's love. It's reactionary. It's always in response to sacrificial love. But the question is, this morning, what is so hard about this calling? What is so hard about the idea of wives following their husbands and husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church? Why is, it, why is it so challenging for couples to get this and to understand it? Why is it that it rubs us the wrong way? And why are so many couples, couples ending their marriage and so many couples absolutely living in frustration? And the problem is this, that when we receive this calling— In our state of selfishness, in our state of ego, in our our fallen condition, what we want to do with this passage is we want to force it upon our spouse. And so what becomes a thing of beauty, what becomes a beautiful calling for the wife and the husband becomes torment and struggle and oppression. And what the husband begins to do because of the fallen condition, he says, I will force you to follow me. I will force you to submit to me. And the, hu- and the wife in returns goes, I, I just want to be loved. And I will manipulate the situation. I will manipulate our relationship. And I will find every way possible to get your attention. And the problem is the reason we have so many broken marriages, the reason we have so many marriages ending in divorce, the reason we have so many marriages living in frustration with one another and at odds with one another is because we're taking this calling and we're forcing upon each other and we're forcing our spouse to submit to us. We're forcing our spouse to be manipulated into loving us and we wonder what the problem is and we'll do anything possible to get their attention. And so what ends up happening is we live relationships manipulating one another. We live lives eventually giving up on one another. Or simply we live lives in marriage simply living indifferent to one another. Because we go, that just isn't possible. So the question I have this morning, if this is the call of marriage, then what is so hard about it? What is the secret to marriage? And that's the second thing that Paul shows us here. 
He not only shows us the calling of marriage, women, wives, submit, and husbands love in a sacrificial way, but he also gives to us the secret of marriage. Because I know you're sitting out here this morning going, this is all pie-in-the-sky stuff that preachers talk about on Father's Day. But this isn't really possible. Okay, yeah, this sounds all good. Submit to one another. Wives, follow the husband. Love, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And it's all pie-in-the-sky stuff that preachers talk about, but you don't live my life. I, we have tried every book and every seminar and every DVD, and just you got to just step into my world. You don't know my wife, and you don't know my husband. This just doesn't work. There is no such thing as the secret to marriage. But there's good news this morning. There is a secret. And here's the truth. You're not going to find it on the aisles and bookshelves of Barnes and Noble. You're not going to find it in Amazon at Amazon.com. You're not going to get it by watching Dr. Phil till you're blue in the face. But there is a secret, and you can have it. In verse 32... Paul tells us what the secret is. Verse 32, Paul says, this mystery or this secret is profound, and I am saying that it refers to who? That it refers to Jesus Christ and his church. What what is he saying there? He's saying there is a mystery. We've seen this before in the letter to the Ephesians. What's the mystery? The mystery is the gospel that has been hidden from people from the beginning. And what is the mystery? How in the world will God reconcile the world to himself? How will he fix broken things? How will he mend uh, broken relationships? How will he bring people together that are once enemies? How will he reconcile people to himself? that are once alienated from the garden. And that is the mystery we continually live with. And for us here, and for so many people out here, whether you were married or not, because this can apply to marriages or to any relationship that you might have this morning, you sit here and go, it is a mystery about how people can get along. Because I turn on the news and I see a gunman go into a nightclub and mow down 50 people as if it's nothing. I don't see people getting along. I don't see people reconciled to one another. I see people at odds with one another. I see enemies, people that are enemies of one another, people that are at enmity with one another. And I even see it in marriage. And you're sitting here today and you say, I even see it in this, in my marriage this morning. But what Paul says here is that there is a mystery, but that the mystery to you this morning is no longer hidden The mystery is Jesus, that the whole goal of the church and the whole goal of the gospel is to reveal that it is no longer hidden, the plan of God to make things right, to bring people together, to fix broken marriages, to heal broken relationships. The mystery of God has been revealed, and his name is Jesus Christ, and it's only Jesus. Jesus is the answer, the only answer, and it's no longer a mystery. And it is Jesus who, through the gospel, is making all things right, especially relationships. And it is what sets apart Christianity from every other movement and every other philosophy and every other religion in the world. That broken things and broken relationships and broken marriages are not healed from the inside out, but from the outside in. 
that there is a man by the name of Jesus who came to fix that which is broken, especially marriages. And when you experience this, when you experience the gospel of Jesus Christ, it empowers you to love in a deep, deep way, especially your spouse, regardless of circumstances. It is Jesus who is the answer for marriage. It is Jesus who is the answer for marriages. If you're living with somebody who just seems like she doesn't deserve it, he doesn't deserve it. I live with a spouse who is always angry and always depressed and always going in the opposite direction. When you understand that that is you and that Jesus loved you in spite of that, it empowers you to love. It empowers you to follow. It empowers you to submit to one another regardless of what the circumstance is. See, your love for your spouse is not reciprocal. Your love for your spouse, your love for the people that are in your life is not dependent on whether they love you. See, the answer of Jesus Christ tells us that because Jesus loves me, I can love my spouse even when they are unlovable. And he looks down this morning Jesus, and he sees his bride, which in many ways is unlovable, undeserving, broken, and he thinks you are beautiful. You see, many people think that this whole idea of submission is a result of the curse of the fall. That, that someday we will be beyond this whole idea of submission because submission seems so oppressive and so heavy. But this is, you have to understand, this is exactly how we were designed to live and function. We were designed to be in submission to God and into submission to one another. But it was in Genesis 3 that we said, nope. I'm going to live my life apart from God and apart from one another. And that's when all hell and chaos and confusion broke loose. And what God in his gospel is trying to do is return us to how we were originally created to live. See, that's the beauty of Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus reconciles us to God and to each other. But you sit here this morning and you go, but... But Rob, you don't understand, I've, I've been divorced three times. You don't even know what I did last night. And I go, you're right, I don't. But God does. And that's the whole reason he came. He came down to, from heaven to rescue his bride. Everyone looks beautiful in a wedding dress. And that's exactly what God did through Jesus Christ. He sent his son down to rescue the unlovable bride and clothes her with a white wedding dress and makes her new forever. And that's the secret to marriage this morning. The secret to marriage is knowing that you have a perfect bridegroom, that you have a perfect lover, that you have a better bridegroom and a better lover in the person of Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. Evie Hill, one of the greatest preachers, in my opinion, modern-day preachers to ever live, passed away a few years ago. But for 40-plus years, he was, Evie Hill was the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church in Los Angeles. Had the privilege of seeing him preach right here in this church many years ago. 
And E.V. Hill preached probably one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard preached. It was the sermon at his wife's funeral. She asked him if she would, she died of cancer, and she asked if she would, if he would preach her eulogy. And he tells this story, he tells the story of his wife who grew up as the daughter of a college president. She lived a pretty privileged life. She lived on the university campus, and she got to tour the world. And Evie Hill says, the only mistake my wife ever made was marrying a lowly preacher boy like me. And after a long day of work, Evie Hill comes home, first year of their marriage, and he opens the door and he sees candles lit. He says, this is pretty good. And he goes into the dining room and he sees a candlelight dinner. And he sees candles lit down the hallway and he sees candles in the bedroom and he he says, oh honey, before we get to our candlelight dinner, let me go freshen up. And he goes into the bedroom and he goes to into the bathroom and he flicks on the light and the lights don't come on. And he goes out into the dining room and the lights won't go on. And he sees his wife and with tears in her eyes, she says, oh baby, you worked so hard, but they turned off the power. They turned off the power. And Evie Hill with tears in his eyes, he says, honey, he says, honey, I am trying my best. I am trying to work as hard as I can, but we just don't have enough money right now to turn on the lights. And he said, in that moment, he says in his great voice, Evie Hill says, my baby, my baby, she could have ruined me. She could have said, I didn't grow up like this. I didn't grow up where they turned the lights out in our house. I didn't grow up eating dinner in the dark. I didn't grow up living in the dark and in the cold. She could have ruined me. But instead, she took my hand. She led me to the table. She ate dinner with me that night. She loved me. He says, I'll never forget that moment. My baby loved me, and it changed my life. And it could change your life this morning as well. When you know, when you know and you believe that you are loved, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, that you are loved by the perfect bridegroom, by the perfect lover, that sees you in your shame and in your sin and in your guilt, do you know what that does to you? Do you know how that frees you? Do you know how that makes you come alive? I pray that you know that Jesus Christ exchanged his beauty for our brokenness and transforms us forever into his beautiful bride. What a beautiful picture this morning of the gospel for our church. What a beautiful picture of the gospel for our world.